Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio is a podcast created to seek the truth by interviewing researchers of the unknown. From the primitive areas of America to the wilds of other countries worldwide, we believe that the answer to the Bigfoot phenomenon and other high strange lies within the investigators pursuing these mysteries. Join me, Lauren Smith, as I delve into the experiences and methods of those questing for answers to things that most don't even know exist. Often witnesses themselves, they are knowers and seekers of the truth, just like you. Good evening and welcome to Night Colors Bigfoot Radio. You're here with your hostess, Lauren Smith. Tonight, we have a special treat for you. We have Ron Murphy on the show. I'm looking forward to talking with this man. He seems to expand his focus beyond just Bigfoot. Um, and he goes after different aspects of these topics, of these myth and, myths and legends that I really want to delve into. So I think we're going to have a great show for you here tonight. Don't forget to subscribe and ring that notification bell. Like, drop a comment, do all the things that I need you to do. and be kind. That's a big one these days. And I'm going to harp on it until I'm blue in the face, until this show is no longer on air. So um, be kind. And also, if you have a question for Ron or myself, type it in all caps in the live chat. All right. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring Ron on. Hi, Ron. How you doing? Hello tonight? there. I'm absolutely flattered to be here. I'm, I'm excited. So that I, I can't wait for this to start. Yes. Um, I'm very thankful that you came on tonight. Um, so you have over 30 years of experience i have well i you know i've been interested in this ever since i've been a kid so it's it's been longer than that but i mean as a researcher that somebody deliberately going out into the field with a motive and you know using Mm -hmm. a method it's been about 30 years yes that's correct so what got you started in the topic and before we get started i wanted to ask what is your focus is it just myths and legends and i know it's the historical and psychological aspect but is it all myths and legends do you primarily do bigfoot dogman paranormal well you know what so in college um i was an anthropology student for a while it was one of those things where i would jump back and forth but i've always been fascinated by the idea of the archetype and these reoccurring themes across cultures across Mm -hmm. time and space and you know bigfoot the dog man you know all these things have a life outside of north america right all these all these creatures all these entities have legends and lore around the world and i thought there must be something to it right these creatures are embroidered into our dna like we need them as much as they need us they give us purpose and we mm-hmm. give them purpose as well too mm-hmm. that's not discounting that they're not flesh and blood either that's something we'll get into as well too but uh my my main focus is the idea that something in our collective past impacted us so greatly that we have these images of the wild man across the world um, i so one of the things that i tell people uh non-believers or skeptics or just people who don't know anything about bigfoot you know i'm like this this didn't start with the patterson gimlin film there have been historical reports of the wild man throughout the u.s and the world but specifically let's just focus on the u.s because i don't want to blow their little brains um in the u.s for 
a long time, like years and years before we were fully settled and, you know, doing our civilization, civilization as we do now. Mm. Right. So, I mean, whenever we look at these, these legends and this, these myths, uh, one of the first places I start is, you know, Native Americans, First Nation mm-hmm. folks uh, in uh, in uh, in Canada and and and, and uh, the Native Americans with, throughout the United States. And if you look at the East Coast, you know, the middle of the prairie states uh, and all along the West Coast, they all have had names uh, for these creatures that look startlingly alike, you know, so mm-hmm. they, they make sense across time. Um, so the Cherokee and the areas of Tennessee, uh, around my neck of the woods, you know, they were called the Laurel people or the Stone people, you know. And then whenever you have in the Pacific Northwest, you have, you know, these great names, you know, like Sasquatch, you know. Mm-hmm. But you also have pictographs of these things as well, too. So you have etchings and paintings on rocks that depict something that looks extremely ape-like. Now, are these ideas, are these encounters brought across on the Bering Strait. And these are cultural remembrances of these folks uh, that, you know, happened before they came to the United States. Or were these creatures here as well? And, uh, you know, as a researcher, that's the kind of questions I like to ask. No, absolutely. Um, there's, I always joke that I wish that I had a superpower to be able to touch a piece of history and and see what it's seen. And so I could solve that question for you. Absolutely. I think that. that, that's the thing. And I think whenever we think about history, um, you know, I never saw it. I mean, in high school, I, it was horrible. But, you know, as, <laughs> as you get older, you know, you see it. It's very much alive, right? It's not stagnant. And, you know, our ancient past still impacts us today, whether we realize it or not. You know, our, our thoughts are based upon you know, our language and what what certain meanings have uh, to us. Um, so I think that these creatures that we talk about, whether it's Bigfoot or Ghost or whatever goes bump in the night, um, these creatures mean something to us on a very primal basis. And, uh, and I think they make us more human as well. But, uh, you know, that's uh, some things that we can get uh, in as, as well later tonight. Uh, but you asked how I got started and all this kind of stuff, and it was definitely my mother. So uh, my mother was a huge fan of, uh, of Bigfoot, and uh, we would listen here in Western Pennsylvania to Stan Gordon, who was like the godfather of all things cryptozoological and paranormal here in Western Pennsylvania. And he would be on the radio you know, a couple times a month, and then the next day my mom would take my brother and I out, and we would go investigate the places where he was talking about on the radio, kind of the things that you did, you know, growing up. So uh, this was also the time of watching, you know, In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. You know, these these were great times. And, uh, you know, the first time I ever saw the Patterson-Gimlin film was on my floor model black and white television set whenever I was just a a wee pup, maybe three or four years old. And I remember how startled I was by seeing this, this whatever it was, moving across my TV screen. And I was completely fascinated by it. And then, like I said, then we, we start watching things like The Legend of Boggy Creek and all these great shows. And then soon enough, uh, the, uh, the, the the $6 million man now has Bigfoot in an episode. And mm-hmm. Bigfoot becomes big, right? It's, it's part of our culture. Um, but I remember as a kid, you know, this is before the Internet, of course, uh, we would have to go on treks 
to the library, which was like a Bigfoot hunt in and of itself, because mm -hmm. we had to get to the Dewey uh, Decimal System there and try to find them on a card catalog about these Bigfoot. Uh, but it was a great time to be alive. It was a great time to be a kid. And I've had that uh, wide-eyed wonder to me ever since. Um, but I talked at the very beginning about having an interest in anthropology. And I remember whenever I was in college, I was in Anthropology 101, and uh, there was this one primer, you know, the, the, this this Anthropology 101 book, you know, it required reading uh, for everybody. It was like the basis of, of, of anthropology. Um, and the uh, writers were Professor Jolly and Professor Plug. And uh, there was a, a section in there about um, uh, the possibility of the, the abominable snowman myth uh, being based upon historical accounts of seeing a gigantopithecus which was amazing because you know this was in a regular this was in a book written by phds and mm -hmm. they were uh you know they they had the resources and uh, everything and yet they were still talking about Bigfoot. It was like he entered the classroom and he sat down beside me and said, now what do you do with me? That's what it was like. And ever since that time, I thought there is no reason why we have to um, exclude academia in our research into the unknown. Let's, you know, let's look at it through the lens of academics and see what we come up with. And sometimes when we do, it comes into much stronger focus. Right. I like that tactic of... Um, Coming at it from the view of academia, I, on the flip side, it seems like academia doesn't really want anything to do with us until we're scientifically proven because right. we're kind of, you know, for a long time, there was a dogma around us. It was taboo to talk about Bigfoot and you were a kook and a nut. And now we have foremost scientists more getting onto this. And so academia, I feel like they're kind of opening up a little bit. There's like, I've seen classes on mm -hmm. Bigfoot 101 and researching 101 and all these different classes, folklore and, you know, such like right. that, including it. So we're getting yeah. there, but no, we are getting there. And my hope is that in the very near future, when we talk about conferences, whether they're Bigfoot conferences or Dogman conferences or whatever, mm -hmm. I think they should be held in universities because I would love to hear what a professor would have to say about this. And like I said, you, you don't have to be an ardent believer. You can be a complete skeptic or you could be a complete, you know, atheist or agnostic whenever it comes to the Bigfoot folklore. Mm -hmm. However, the folklore is still out there. So let's reason with it and figure out what it means. Um, the first time in literature, something akin to a Bigfoot is related to us is in the Epic of Gilgamesh, right? So this is about contemporaneous with the pyramids. So we're going back, you know, 6,000 years. Now, this is 6,000 years before it was written, but you have to understand that the uh, the oral, uh, uh, you know, tradition was much older than that. So we're going back into the very dawn of humanity as civilized humanity when we talk about these kind of things. But uh, the writer of the Epic of Gilgamesh, you know, decided that it was important to add a wild man character to his narrative. And we have the character of Vinkaidu in there, which is a hair covered bipedal creature uh, that is seen running with the gazelles and out in the woods and everything like that. And uh, then we encounter another of his species later on uh, named Humbaba. Uh, and he is encountered whenever our protagonists enter the, the forest and start take, uh, cutting down the cedar trees. 
So we see that, uh, that there's are these are preachers out there. They're hidden, and they really don't make any contact with humanity until we encroach on their spaces. Mm -hmm. I mean, we also have, so I don't know if a lot of people have looked into it, and I am terrible at pronunciation, but the, the, can't I can't say it. Basajan, Basawan, B-A-S-A-J-A-U-N. And oh. it's Basque mythology. Um, and it's it's a hairy man that lives in the trees. It's a spirit protector, but it's it's one that I've seen in history and it's old, old, but yet nobody talks about it. And I'm like, it's there. Right. It it's there in history. Anyway, if you want to you know google that and let me know what your thoughts are but uh, i will so and that's that's synonymous with every uh a culture they all within that culture have some idea of the wild man if we're in russia it's the almasty if it's in china it's the yaren you know the, right uh, the aboriginals of australia even have the yowie i mean so it is prevalent within human society um and we even find it in um you know the uh the the Beowulf epic right yes, we have the yeah. character of grendel in there as well too so there is something happening in our world that writers decided to document these narratives for whatever reason you know i don't think that we should look at them as these are actual reports but right. they were included in a way that the people that were reading say, yeah, you know, this makes sense. So if it makes sense to them, I think one of the reasons why it makes sense to them is because these ideas and these legends were part of the, 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 the cultural uh, the cultural commerce at the time. Right. I mean, I know that we have a lot of, um, I feel like there's a lot of things that are created to scare kids and stuff like that, but it's, it's the kind of the addict of, um, not addict, I'm brain dead today. It's um, it's some of it's based in fact, right? Sure. How much you, is based in fact? Right. You can have uh, boogeyman. That's that's perfectly okay, but it has to have somewhere that it comes. There's a genesis for it, right? Mm -hmm. So not everything that we come up with that goes bump in the night was used to scare children. That that's just not the way it works. And also because we have these hairy wild men. Uh, working in different spaces all over the world, we also see that there are changes to them as well, too. So in places like Indonesia, you know, the hairy wild man is very small, right? We have the uh, Homo florensis, the little hobbit creature, right, that we know from the scientific record, from the archaeological record, that these creatures absolutely 100% existed. Now when we look at the reports of the, of, of the Dutch sailors, that were going into these areas in the 1700s. And they talk about seeing these diminutive-sized, hair-covered creatures. Now, are we saying that they are making this stuff up, or are they seeing a remnant population of the Homo habilis that did indeed exist in that area? And that's the other thing that I that, that I, I like to, to, to examine as well, too. Is it possible that when we talk about these creatures that we are talking about or we're looking at reports from uh, ancient cultures that are interacting with remnant populations of an extinct hominid species? Right. That that's that was I know it's a standard question that a lot of people ask, but what vein do you take like what view do you take on that? But do you feel that there we have a lot of different theories we have people that think they're gigantopithecus. We have people that think they're a relic hominid. We have people that think they're Nephilim. We have people that think they're 
interdimensional creatures. We have people that think they are escaped apes that mated with bears. I don't know. And, and uh -huh. so right. what are your thoughts? Well, I think it changes all the time. So at one point I was a complete flesh and blood guy. You know, this is a, mm -hmm. this is a, this is a, 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 a an ape creature or a branch off of the human lineage in some way. Uh, but it makes sense to me at that point. But the more research that I have done and the more things that I've experienced, I'm starting to say that I have no clue of what's going on. Um, I'll give you one little anecdotal thing that happened to me a couple of years ago. Um, there was a snow day from school, right? So mm -hmm. the kids weren't going to school and uh, I opened up my front door. Uh, nobody had been outside and, you know, the, the snow was glistening and everything. And lo and behold, in my yard, I see tracks. That you can see five toes on them. They're small. They're about the size of a dollar bill. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, this is odd. You know, I'm a Bigfoot investigator, and now there's tracks within my yard. So what's going on? So I decided to find out where they began because there's woods that skirt my house. And um, as I went over towards the woods, I found out that the tracks appeared out of nowhere. They just were in my yard. So what happened was it was a right track and then another right track and then a left and right track, and then it began the cadence of tracks in the snow. But initially, it wasn't like that. It was as if something stepped off of something or mm -hmm. stepped out of something, and it took a while before it became um, fully manifested as a physical form, right? That mm -hmm. makes sense. But the other odd thing about this encounter was that these tracks went up to my house, and they went and looked into my dining room window, and then they went over the hill. So as a Bigfoot investigator that is now being investigated by these strange tracks that show up in my yard. <laughs> what kind of sense do we make of that? Do these things know who we are? Um, is there also, I have another theory as well too, that is, is it possible that the experiencer and that which is being experienced has to have almost uh, uh, an agreed upon um, uh, contract, if you will, and there has to be a switch that's almost flipped in order for you to experience that and in order for it to be experienced. It might actually be one of those things where it requires your input to be mm -hmm. down. Yeah. I feel like you're getting it's, into theology. It's confusing. <laughs> um, it, it really is because um, I would love to think that it's a, it, it's an ape out there, you know, or some sort right. of flesh and blood animal. But I will tell you this. So, even if we would say interdimensional, you know, and I don't like that word because that seems very sci-fi, but mm -hmm. say that it's not physically part of this world all the time. Mm -hmm. That does not rule out that it's not in a physical form whenever it does come here, right? Because right. we know that they leave tracks and they, they poop and they pee and they eat and do all <laughs> other kind of stuff, right? So we know that there is a physicality to them. Right. But it's like... There's just something as a researcher is telling me that these things are not here all the time. Right. There's a veil almost, right? There's, there's this darkness that obscures one world from the other. It might just be layered up on top of each other. But there's, there's, there's a way for these creatures, may possibly even a way for us, to seep through that veil and then to experience each other on some sort of level that I, I'm still trying to work out. Well, I'm thinking about what you said and, you know, we are all energy. Everything is energy. Um, that's the biggest argument I hear for the interdimensional or whatever you want to call them 
uh, theories is that we're all energy and, you know, energy can manifest and all of that. So um, I guess back to the experience part, um, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, it doesn't make a sound. That's kind of what I'm going to put in layman's terms from what you're saying about the footprints is. Well, let's talk about what you talk about, too, about the idea of energy. So, yeah, of course, we are all energy. Everything around us is energy. But we also have to um, uh, conclude and, and that we're also a frequency. Everything has a frequency as well. And it's very possible that whenever we experience these things, it's the frequencies between the two objects that are syncing up that allows us to see these things. Yeah. Nope, I can I can definitely get on board with that. Mm, definitely. Yeah. And I think that that's the other thing too. Whenever we say we don't have any photographs, you know, we don't have any any bodies. We don't have this. We don't have that. And, and it's very possible that it is the idea of frequency that we can see these things there in some sort of level. Like it's almost whenever you see the ultraviolet light coming up off of a road in the summertime. You know, mm-hmm. that uh, that we can see these things under certain circumstances, under certain conditions, uh, but they're not there all the time, and it's not they're not prone to being photograph because the energy and the frequency is just not conducive for that right kind of makes you wonder if you had a way to fire an emp at one of them if you could get one to hold still what would happen that's right that's scatter right. them or would it you know no, no it, see these these yeah. are these are great points because the patterson gimlin film was actually on film and that's another one of my theories we are using digital recorders you know game cameras and all these things these are all digital and they operate on a different style than just putting it right on the film so i wonder if film is indeed the key uh, to, to to catch these things maybe so um mm-hmm. i know that our recorders that uh we found over the years doug Highcheck actually is the one of the ones who figured it out but the newer recorders do not catch the certain levels that these creatures give off, um, the lower levels, like an infrasound type of energy, but the old recorders, the old Olympus, they do. Now you can't find those anymore, or you can't find them for a reasonable price like you could years ago where they were $35 and you picked one up at Walmart, you know? So, um, I know growing up, my mother, she recorded on cassette tapes. It was a cassette recorder and she'd have to go flip the tape and even her video camera, it was also tape, but, um, you know, still it's, it's more than film. It's more than getting out there with a regular film camera, like the Patterson Gimlin film was That's right. That's with. right. Where you had to actually turn it and expose it, you know, to the, yeah. to the light and everything. But I'm um, getting back to the idea of the old school method. And I do, I do like the old school method. I'm not very technologically advanced, but whenever I do investigations into like ghosts and things, I always use the old fashioned tape recorders because I find out that they can pick up nuances that other things cannot pick up. I definitely, I, I could get behind that. I have heard that from a lot of different people. It's like, we have all these great advancements in technology, but with the fine tuning of noise reduction on most of them, it kind of, it's a hindrance on on the research that we do trying to catch anomalies in our universe. Right. So all the technology nowadays are trying to exclude or fix the anomalies that come up. Right. right? So it right. doesn't even want to be captured anymore. They want to right. fix it. They want to overexpose it and everything. So there is no anomalies, but that's that's what we need. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. We had a question from Griff. Is there any specific area of Pennsylvania that you focus on when you do research? Uh, the Chestnut Ridge. Uh, so uh, as a kid, I could see the Chestnut Ridge out my, my, my bedroom window. And as an adult, I have a house that sits on the corner of Chestnut and Ridge. And I can see the Ridge right out my window right now as well, too. It is That's a place beautiful. of high strangeness um, for, you know, the past, you know, 200 years. It has been an area where there has been ghosts, sightings, and uh, UFO encounters, and now recently dogman encounters, as well as Bigfoot. It has, it's the perfect storm for almost anything paranormal. Uh, you know, it's, it's about... 20 miles away from where I live is where the Kexpert incident happened, uh, where a UFO um, uh, supposedly uh, crashed uh, in the 1960s. So there's a lot of really strange things that go on around this area. And it might be the, ge the, yeah, the geology of this area. Yeah. You know, we're, rich in, uh, we're rich in limestone. Uh, we're rich in a lot of different kind of uh, uh, minerals. And, you know, there's a theory that, uh, you know, when we talked about the tape recorders as mm -hmm. well, the idea that residual energy, such as in ghosts, right. can be captured within the rocks itself. And maybe, of course, you know, Bigfoot, what we're dealing with with these creatures as well, too, is, is part of that gray area of the paranormal. And maybe they rely on these things as well. Right. Um, I was actually going to ask about that. I was going to ask what the geology was like there and um, what the, do you have any cave systems in that area? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Whenever you have limestone, you're bound to have caves. So it's not like the cave systems in Kentucky. You know, it's not mm -hmm. that, that extensive. Uh, and we also have a lot of mines as well, too. Um, I think that if these creatures are, you know, here for a while in a physical form, uh, one of the things they would absolutely utilize would be the mine systems. Uh, you know, and we're talking about mines that go for, you know, 20 or 30 miles. You know, these are right. extensive systems. Um, so I think that we have mines. We also have, uh, we do have cave systems around here as well, too. Uh, this is about third or fourth growth forest, but a lot of the area up there is uh, conservancy land. So people hunt on it and people uh, hike on it, but it's not going to be torn down anytime soon. So it's still a pretty wild place now. Yeah. What are some of the methods that you use whenever you go out and research? Um, so that that does it, it varies. It varies. So I've, I've tried the game cameras. You know, I'm not successful with those. Um, yeah. I've tried ghost approaches as well too. Um, I was on one expedition on the Chestnut Ridge. Whenever we were getting a lot of uh, EVPs. You know, mm -hmm. uh, which is strange. Um, and uh, there, we had the EMF detector, and it was going off constantly. And we were in the woods. There was nothing around to make it go off. And um, we started to hear, as we were hearing the um, the uh, the ghost box going off, right? As we hear the ghost box going off and some sounds coming through that and occasionally a phrase and everything. As that was going on, we could also hear other things going on in the woods. Some Some movement here and there something that sounds like a wood knock, possibly a vocalization of some kind. Uh, of course, still too faint to happen or anything. But then um, as the, 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 uh, the ghost box was going on, as the, the spirit box was going off, um, we asked, because we heard something pretty loud happen in the forest, we asked, who's out here with us? And without missing a beep, it said Bigfoot, which is, that's a strange thing as well too, right? Um, so moving onward, as my research goes, um, again, and I think we can connect the dots here, and I think that this is all a gray area. But um, I would like to start utilizing Ouija boards into the hunt for 
for Bigfoot as well, too. Because if indeed it is a creature that is capable of, uh, we're talking about energy and frequencies, mm-hmm. it wants to communicate, it may be able to communicate through one of these Ouija boards. So one of the things I'm going to be trying here in the near future. Good luck with that. I will let you have all the glory in that, and I will stay over here. I do not trust Ouija boards. Yes. Um, I don't trust them either. I don't trust them right. either. To be totally honest with you, I probably will not be the one to do it, but right. I bet I can talk somebody into doing it. <laughs> Guinea pig. Um, right. You know, it's to play devil's advocate, you know, if they wanted to communicate with us, I feel like they could. You know, yeah, um, we yeah. have mind speak yeah. reports which i hate that term because it's redundant we have telepathy is already a word but whatever um but we we do have those reports but then also you know they're right there but maybe a safer way to communicate with us would be that if it works would be the right. ouija board right uh so i had um an interview with a lady a few years ago where she claims that she had an encounter well an ongoing encounter with bigfoot um and it wasn't in the woods it was in her apartment uh she claims that one day this giant sized ape Mm-hmm. appears within her apartment so large that it had to bend over because its head would hit the ceiling and she was of course frightened and through telepathy it told her not to be afraid he was just going to observe her and over the course of several weeks it would simply appear to watch her doing household chores uh, she ended up calling it her laundry ape because it liked to observe her doing laundry but it would watch her doing dishes and and some some of the weird things they would watch her sleep as well too which is kind of you know a little scary i don't want to go there creepy um, (laughs) uh, yeah but it would it would manifest itself over a period of time and then just suddenly uh, one day it just never came back again so you know the lady seemed lucid enough Uh, i i don't believe that she was uh hoaxing anything i mean this was a lady that was in her 70s and obviously she had she was dealing with something that was fairly traumatic to her and she was trying to make some sort of sense of it now personally i can't make any sense of it but when we talk about the idea of these things communicating we do find that in a lot of bigfoot war right um i mean to for let's say for kicks and giggles that she was telling the absolute truth and that is her experience to tell yeah. um I think it was very polite of her laundry ape to announce his presence um, because, as we know, we do have paranormal entities that they can just sit and watch and they don't have to show themselves. They don't have to let you know that they're there at all. Um, I mean, any ghosty can watch you take a shower and it doesn't have to say it's there. I'm just saying it was was just very nice of that laundry ape to let her know. Um, That was very nice. That's right. That's right. Um, you know what though? I, I now that you mentioned that, I might not want to know if, if they're they're watching me. Maybe don't don't tell me that you're watching me. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, um, ignorance is bliss type of thing. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. <laughs> um, so I had a question from someone in Messenger, and they said, "Can you tell us more about the high strangeness? And have you experienced uh, more high strangeness in your area than just the Bigfoot tracks and such?" Oh, sure. So I've got stories. So we've got some time then. Absolutely. Yes. Get into it. (laughs) Yeah. This was a story about a werewolf. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
okay. So this one area that I, I, I um, investigate along the Chestnut Ridge is called Livermore. It used to be a town. It was a canal town at one time, and it was a thriving little place. It had its baseball team. It had a couple hotels, um, and then whenever the uh, the railroad went through, it was a very prosperous place. Um, but uh, now there's nothing there, so it's an abandoned town. But from the, since the 1950s, there have been reports down there of Bigfoot. Then as of recently, there is the new kid on the block, which is the dogman, correct? Yeah. So um, there was a report that there was a, a, a gentleman that went down there to transform into a werewolf so he would stay away from anybody and not harm anybody, okay? So that was the premise that we were going on. There was somebody who believed that he was capable of transforming into a wolf, and this is where he would go. So right. we decided that this would be a place that we would be investigating. So I would say it was about 11 o'clock at night, um, and it's a good place to research because there's only one way in and only one way out, and that's the same way. So it's out in the middle of nowhere. There's no street lights, no ambient lights whatsoever. Uh, it, it's just a good place. So we were there for a while, and then um, all of a sudden we noticed that looks like static electricity in the air. It's as if you would pull off a blanket off of a bed and you would get those little sparks. And I thought, this seems rather odd. But the investigator that I was with, you know, he and I were, were there. And we started to become a little unnerved because this had never happened to us in an investigation before. And as we turned to go back down the trail, about 50 yards from us, a light emits. So it, it looks as if it's a flare. It has this mm-hmm. kind of sparkling um, sort of, ambience to it and then it kind of just flickers off so it probably ignited stayed stayed ignited for maybe a second or so and then just faded away just like that just a light just came on in the woods and went right back out with it well we had never seen anything like this before but the problem is we have to go that way in order to get back to our vehicles and we really want to get back to our vehicles so we kind of started to run down that way and when we get to the area where the light uh, manifested itself off to the right something starts following us in the woods okay something to the point that you could actually hear it breathing it was that close no, so gosh. yeah so as we are fumbling through the woods and through the underbrush and everything we now notice that we're off the trail and if anybody ever watches you know um an american werewolf in london never leave the trail right this sure. is a bad thing. so not only did we leave the trail but that whatever was over there on our right-hand side was now following us to the point that it was quite close. We could hear it quite closely because we were now in the woods with it, right? So as we start getting very scared, I mean, this, mm-hmm. this, is, this is like that primal flight or fight, and there's no way I'm going to fight this thing, right? <laughs> so as, as we get to the point where it's like, where it's almost to the point that it's going to be hysteria, off to my left, there was an old abandoned graveyard, but from that that graveyard, something calls my name, which has never happened, never happened before. Um, disembodied voices, uh, earth lights going on, uh, some sort of creature following us, whatever. But when whenever it called my name, it led us back as we followed the, the sound of the voice back to the trail to get out of there. 
You're not supposed to follow the voice. <laughs> oh well, the, it was it was Ron, and it wasn't scary. It wasn't breathing and snarling like the thing in the woods, right? So right. that was our all. That was our alternative, right? So it was not like we were actually following it, but we kind of heard the voice and we went towards it, because whenever these kind of things are happening, your mind thinks that this is not like some sort of spirit, right? There's somebody out there that's right. calling my name because you don't think about it any other way. So that little, uh, you know, calling of my, my name uh, out of nothingness, out of the blackness, it was enabled us to get back onto the road to get back home. That's eerie. It is. It is. I have an, a, another much more eerie tell from that area. You want to hear this one? Well, of course. I'm okay. going to have to go get my little safety blanket, but yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so... Um, for most of my adult life, I've been a teacher and um, I have been doing ghost tours and things like that for a long time. And uh, so the, um, the, the, the staff at the school where I was teaching asked if I would lead them on a ghost tour. And I said, sure, that would be awesome. Um, so hold on, let me just read this real quick. Yeah. Oh, okay. About the carbide lights. Yeah. I, I think that's very interesting. We'll have to return to that whenever I'm done with the yes. story. But that is something I do want to talk about. Absolutely. So, um, so they asked me if I would lead them on a ghost tour. I said, sure. So the place that I was going to lead them to was Livermore, the place that we just talked about, um, because scary things happen down there. Um, and it has a lot of good folklore down there. Now, one of the folklore, uh, 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 you know, one of the folklore, uh, uh, focuses is on the witch that supposedly lived down there. So at one time, Livermore, before it became a prosperous little town, it was just a little, you know, a little habitation, uh, 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 a little frontier town. And as the story goes, you know, there's this, this little town of maybe 40 or 50 people. And in that town, on the fringe of the town, was lived a witch, you know, a hedge witch. And these townspeople were good Protestants, you know, they mind their P's and Q's. But if anything happened in the town, they would call upon the witch. That's just the way it happened, right? If you needed a midwife, call the witch. If you needed um, some sort of advice on one to plant, call the witch. Um, so what happens now is that the town starts struggling. Um, children are being born, stillborn, right? Um, mm -hmm. Animals are dying at birth. Uh, cows are not producing any milk. And plants are not coming in. This is a bad time for the town. So this would have been in 1781. Now, the townspeople got together and they said, what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do? Obviously, it's God's punishment because we are allowing this witch to influence us. And they thought, well, how do we rid ourselves of the witch? And they immediately say, we have to burn her at the stake. Now, I will tell you that the last witch that was burned at the stake was in the 1730s in Scotland. And these were Scottish immigrants in this particular area. So either somebody there watched the burnings or they at least knew about the, the right. burning. You know? So they, uh, they, they built a, a pyre and everything like that. They grabbed the witch, they tied her up, and they started to burn her at the stake. And she, um, as, as the flames leapt up around her, she screamed a curse, and this was the curse. In 100 years' time, I will send enough, uh, enough water to quench these flames and on may 31st 1881 100 mm -hmm. years of the day the johnstown flood came through and destroyed mm -hmm. her so that was the witch I thought, this is a good story 
to tell these people as we go on our ghost hunt. Right. So, uh, and uh, I, I wanted to look pretty good for the part, so I got myself a scarf. Like I wanted to look like this guy knows what he's talking about. So I'm all sitting there, all dapper and everything, and I'm talking about the witch. I'm showing people, you know, this old cemetery, talking about the werewolf thing that we had experienced and everything like that. And then I decided to take them down to an abandoned train tunnel because nothing says scary like an abandoned train tunnel. So um, we go on inside, and then it appears as if these lights are dripping up from the ground, which I've never seen before. So instead of dripping down, something is coming up out of the ground, something illuminated, but we can't see it with the naked eye, right? We can only see it through a through a, the lens of a camera or on a phone. So these lights coming up out of the ground start swirling as if they're evaluating us, and one goes over a teacher's head and obscures her face for several photographs. I and mean, we're taken from different angles and everything, and there's this obscurity of light on her face because this thing settled there. And then she starts complaining about a headache, and I thought, now it's time to get out of here because whatever's going on, something is definitely interacting with these people. So we mm-hmm. start leaving, and it's about a mile hike back to the car. This is a pretty, pretty long one. And as we start approaching... Uh, where the turn is to go to our car, we see these little lights, almost like LED lights, and they're reds and blues and greens, and they start hopping back and forth across the trail. I've never seen anything like this before in my life, and they're not big. They're only about the size of a thumbnail, but you know they're very small, and they're very, very um, uh, focused and pronounced lights. And, you know, this is very unnerving. So I thought, we've got to get out of here. So as we approach the lights, the lights go off, completely go off. But now there's whispers that are coming from the woods. And it sounds like it's a a cacophony of of various women just whispering to each other. Mm -hmm. But it grows and grows to the point that you can actually feel it reverberating in the air, right? Terrifying. So at this point, we all run back to the car. You know, I'm a grown man. There's other grown men there. Like, we're pushing women away to get back to our car because we're that afraid. You know, one girl screams out. She lifts up her shirt, and she has scratches on her back. Like, everything that you would expect in some sort of classic haunting, this is going on, right? Mm -hmm. And as I'm trying to get my way back to the car, I feel myself being yanked backwards. And this is a true story. My scarf is gone. The one scarf that I bought for this encounter, something had yanked it, and I no longer have the scarf. So we're terrified, right? This is a, this is, um, everything went wrong. Everything that could have happened, happened, right? So this was like, the for, for, for my point of view, this was a perfect ghost tour, right? But for everybody else, like they're being traumatized, right? As a matter of fact, the people that were involved in this, we don't even talk to each other anymore. And I, oh I, I it's about this. It was it was that traumatizing. So um, we decide that's the night. We're going to get in our cars. We're going to go home, which we do. And I get back to my house, and I open the door, and I jump back because there's a light on in my house. And I didn't turn on any lights on. So I get up a little bit of bravery. I go into the house, and my stove is on, my uh, gas stove. So all four burners are on with mm-hmm. a flame. And we were talking about a witch that was supposedly burned at the stake, right? Mm-hmm. So I hurry up, turn off the thing, turn off the burners, go outside, take a lot of deep breaths because this is right around the first part of uh, November, and I am scared. Like I'm covered in sweat. Like I have no idea what's going on here. So I kind of calm my nerves and everything, 
And I thought, okay, I can go back in. I go back in and I take off my coat and I hang it up on the coat rack. And on the coat rack is my scarf. Stop it. Yeah. So Stop. whenever we talked about the Bigfoot tracks leading up to my house, now we're talking about these things that we call ghosts or Bigfoot or whatever. It seems that they know about us as well too right mm -hmm. whether they're investigating or they can somehow draw knowledge from us just being around but they understand who we are why we are there and also i think it was a way of saying you know you had your little fun but you know kind of stay in your world and we'll stay in ours and it was kind of like you know a, kind of like a flag of truce stay in your territory i'll stay in my territory but that is a true story. Um, I know that it doesn't make any logical sense whatsoever. Um, it, it, it it still scares me to this day. I still have the scarf to this day. Yeah. I, have, I have it downstairs in a in a tote. But um, it's just one of those things where, so as a researcher, uh, you know, and again, we talked about I wanted to be an academic researcher, right? None of this makes sense academically. Like science yeah. just goes out the window right now. This is something that I cannot explain how it happened why it happened all i can say is it happened that yeah. i don't like ghosties um the reason yeah. and and you're ruining this for me i always tell people that the reason that i research bigfoot because paranormally i growing up and even now i have a um i i, I have a lot of experience with the paranormal i have a lot of experience with spirits and such so I leave them alone. I have a healthy respect and leave them alone. Now, Bigfoot, I go research Bigfoot because when you leave the woods, Bigfoot stays in the woods. You are ruining that for me right now, uh, sir. <laughs> well, I know that Stan Gordon wrote a book called um, uh, Silent Invasion. And this was about the Bigfoot reports in, um, in the 1970s. And there were reports where people would be out in the woods and they would see a Bigfoot out there. And by the time they got home, it was standing in their backyard. No, uh, yeah. no, mm -mm, I don't. Yeah. No, thank you. See, yeah, that's the kind of scary <laughs> thing about this. And like I said before, and I'll say it again, you know, there is a gray area here. A lot of people, I, I know a lot of investigators who are ghost investigators, and they have photographed what they believe to be ghosts, but they look like alien greys. I don't know if you've ever come across mm -hmm. anything like that or not. Um, also, uh, we talk about, uh, you know, ghost investigators. Uh, a few years ago, I had um, the privilege of interviewing uh, Robin Foy, uh, who uh, he actually uh, uh, passed away not too long ago. But he was uh, uh, a part of this experience, experiment in England in the 1970s called the Skull Experiment, S-C-O-L-E. And uh, they were trying to, a group were trying to um, uh, contact ghosts to see if it would work by using very scientific methods of recording. So they all gathered together and they all concentrated on one singular fact, and that was to make contact with the other side. And they were saying initially there would start out as poltergeist activity, you know, taps, things moving and things like that. Eventually it would go to the Ouija board would be moving on its own. But then they said they would make actual contact mm -hmm. with these entities. And they took photographs of them. And if you if you want to look them up on on online, they look exactly like alien graves. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So whatever they were communicating with was in a realm that they believed to be ghosts, 
but other people would have said that they were extraterrestrials. And one uh, very startling uh, component of this is that they were sitting there uh, doing this experiment and a craft manifested itself. It was very, very small, uh, but they said it was like a very small UFO that would actually go from person to person as if it was analyzing them. The same way that I saw those lights in that tunnel analyzing the people that were inside the tunnel. It would go, it would evaluate them, and then it would eventually disappear. But again, we see that there's this kind of, uh, there's a connection with all these things. None of this stuff exists in a vacuum. All this kind of stuff kind of means something in a grander scale, and that's why we're working on this. Right. And sometimes it takes that person that to make the correlation between the different things, because it seems like um, Matt Knapp actually posted something recently. He said uh, he was talking about orbs Mm -hmm. and he said um, it's interesting that orbs, you know, the Bigfoot people attribute it to Bigfoot activity and the paranormal people attribute it to paranormal activity. And it's because that's what we all study. Um, But what if the, you know, the orbs are on a broader level um and and the same with what you're saying the high strangeness i mean high strangeness covers so many different things um and it doesn't have to be just the ones that we're studying you know and so sometimes it takes someone like you to correlate make the correlations between all of them and tie that together yeah well um the thing about the orbs and this idea of electricity that we talked about at the very beginning of the show uh is it possible that these orbs that we're seeing is the energy vehicle by which these things are able to travel between dimensions and is it out of that light out of these orbs they're able to manifest themselves because the one thing that happened to me down there whenever that light kind of came on and something began to follow us in the woods it seemed as if whatever that was came out of that light there was Mm -hmm. no other explanation it was as if that light was a door opening into our world and something came out of it right right um let me I'm guessing you never went back to that train tunnel. Um, you know what? I have. I have. Not alone or anything like that, because I'm not that kind of weird guy. There's a lot <laughs> of people that do this kind of stuff uh, you know, on their own and stuff, but definitely one hundred percent not, no. Mm I am not. I mm. plus I I I told my mom uh recently, because she's my research partner also, and I told her I said, you know, I just know that I'm going to go off from camp to go use the restroom. And that's when I'm going to have a sighting when I don't have someone there to second that sighting. And that's what I want the most, you know. That's right. All right. Let's go over the carbide lights um, that you wanted to cover. <coughs> and then right. I can. Yeah, see, that's very interesting. And I have heard reports of these lights being seen in conjunction to hauntings as well too but as well as far as it uh, kind of drawing in bigfoot i have not but that's a great theory to explore he said um i have stories of people having more bigfoot or paranormal activity while using old carbide lights so very cool very cool indeed no i, I would gladly try it i have no problem i think that whenever we you know we just talked about this not too long ago i think that when we talk about like new technology it might be better to and more conducive to use the old time elect, uh, technology right no that i mean that lends credit to what you were saying it definitely does um okay we had another one i thought there's that one mm-hmm. <laughs> and then has 
has Ron done any investigations north of Pittsburgh, like Cranberry, TWP, Moraine State Park, or Butler? And that's from um, Robert. Right. So um, how about Newcastle? I've done a lot of research uh, in uh, the, um, uh, oh, it just slipped, slipped my mind. Um, <laughs> I can't believe this. So the name of the place was, um, come on, guys, help me out. It's a haunted location. It's called, uh, I can't believe, I cannot believe this. It just slipped my mind. It's one of those things where I'm going to regret this. But uh, uh, Newcastle, Pennsylvania is uh, Hillview Manor. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so this was a poor house constructed in 1922. Um, and it went through various different stages. It became an, a senior citizen uh, uh, place. It became a, a personal care place. But there's a wealth of paranormal activity that that uh, happens within that particular uh, building. And also the grounds seem to be harmed as well, too. Uh, there was legends of Native American Indian burial mounds out there as well, too. And people have also witnessed Bigfoot activity on the grounds of the place. So, again, the perfect storm of, of, of different things happening in one location. That's... Um, that just makes me think of like the hellier situation where it's just like this conglomeration of weird events, high strangeness that happens in certain places. And you just have to ask why, right? Uh, and land I, between the lakes, you know, places like right, that. Ex ex exactly. And, uh, and places in England as well, too, you know, um, in England, uh, and in Europe, they do a lot with ley lines, you know, not so much here in America, but I think that if we can start investigating mm -hmm. the idea of ley lines, I think that there are pockets of earth energies where right. there is such a high energy level that people can either, you know, be, be misled by it, hallucinate from it, whatever. If that's from a scientific point of view, the people could be hallucinating because of the energies. But on my point of view as an investigator, it, uh, you could also say this is allowing things to manifest themselves as well, too. Just as right. a paranormal investigator takes batteries and something draws from the batteries in order to manifest themselves, they mm -hmm. might be using these these pockets on the earth uh, to draw the energy from the earth itself. Absolutely. I know quartz um, is a great, uh, great energy I am, I'm serious. I'm so sorry that I am brain dead tonight. I did a four oh, mile, I did a four mile hike today and, right. and I'm just, I have no brain today. Well, I sound I'm very gonna... unintelligent this evening. No, I apologize for that. Of course is a good, is, is a good, um, energy substance is where I'm going with that. And yeah. so I, I'd be interested to know how many of the ley lines and then also just how many of these pockets of high strange have a large quartz, um, I agree. There. I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah, you were thinking about being in a fog. I, I am too. So I'm just getting over strep throat. Actually, right. I just have my voice back today enough that yeah. I'm able to talk, but I still am foggy from all the medication. So yeah, right. I should have been known Hillview just like that because I've been investigating the place right. for the last three years, but I feel like a fool now. No, no, you you eventually remembered it and you were still on air. <laughs> I give you I give you props for that. That was good. Yeah, of course <laughs> And then, so we have time probably for one more really good encounter story, if you want to share. One more good encounter story. Jeez, yeah. let me see here. Didn't I already give you enough encounter stories? Okay. No, let absolutely not. Here. That's right. That's right. Conductor. Um, Thank you, yeah. Mom. A conductor. conductor. There you go. There you go. Um, <laughs> let's see here. I'm trying to think about, because I've already kind of showed my hands and gave you all of my very, very good ones. Um 
yeah, you know what? I, I I think that I am out of all good stories. I I, I just shared all of them with you. And okay. I think that's good. For one person to have that much stuff happen, I think that's pretty oh, good. absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I did want to ask. This is my new standard question. In regards to Bigfoot research specifically, mm-hmm. um, what do you think is holding us back? Oh, we like to fight with each other, right? So mm-hmm. there's people out there that simply do not want to get along with other people. There's people right. out there, um, they're they're a-holes, for lack of a better word, right? That's true. And they will use you, and they will jockey you for position, and they'll stab you in the back, and they will steal your ideas, and that has happened to me ever since I entered yeah. this lovely field. People want to be a name in this field. And if they're not capable of doing it on their own, they will do everything in their power to get it from somebody else, right? I have lost a lot of friends who I thought were my friends, and they were simply leveraging, right? That's all that it was. Um, And I think my skin might be a little bit too thin for this business as well, too. It's hard uh, when you're authentic and others are not. It's difficult. Also, um, if, if they can't steal it from you for their own gain, they will fabricate it. For their own game oh, that's almost goodness. worse that's right that is that's that's absolutely worse and i do a lot of conferences and you can tell when somebody's telling a lot of lies i mean mm-hmm. you're sitting there and you're squirming in your seat because you know that that person is simply talking because if he does not come up with a story every year he's not going to be welcome back right that's right. what's going to happen yeah but uh but uh yeah, I think that there's also a lot of investigators out there that have their own particular um, focus and their own particular schema in mind. And if they get evidence that is contrary to what they believe, they'll throw it out. So a lot of things are going on that we don't know about because people discard it. Um, and the other problem that I have with people that get information and it becomes their property and they won't share it. You know, I'm all about confidentiality and everything like that. But I think that if we would start sharing things then we would be able to get more closely to the bottom of this stuff as well, too. Absolutely. Um, That's something that I preach on here quite a bit. First of all, I preach, be kind or kindly shut up. Uh Um, And then also, um, you know, I'm an independent researcher. I don't belong to any specific groups, but I do research with a lot of different groups and I glean great things from each group. And I just... I just wish that if we could share all of that um, and not just one by one through doing these shows and, and letting, you know, but like with actually sharing our techniques and our research and um, how we came to that point. And I, I think we could get farther. So I agree. Good point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. People. And, and the other thing I want to tell you too, is that was a, a conference with Lauren Coleman several years ago. And it is his supposition that the Bigfoot um, enigma will finally be solved by women. And, and, I, and I feel wholeheartedly about this as well, too. Um, women need to be at the forefront of this field. There's a lot of women that are doing research out there that blow men away completely, but we're not hearing about them because they don't have cool hats to wear. Um, I think that we need to be more respectful for women in this. I think that we need to be much more open, and we need to have them included in what we talk about. Uh, when we think about Jane Goodall and her 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 uh, uh, leaps uh, that she did with the uh, with the great apes and studying the great apes, these are the kind of things that need to happen out there. Uh, you folks are our our equals at least 
if not our superiors. And uh, we really do need to include women in the forefront of, of paranormal uh, research. I, I've always been a proponent of that. Absolutely. You heard it here first, folks. Get the ladies a hat. That's right. Get the ladies a hat. So whenever I was, I did a conference one time with uh, the late uh, Linda Godfrey, who I absolutely adored. Yes. And she said one of the reasons why she was getting out of the field is because she did not have a hat to wear. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Um, yes. Emily Fleur, I will say, she has some fabulous hats that she wears. And I truly believe she is an up and coming um researcher but also educator in this topic right, right. she she's taking it back uh to uh, back to basics and she's mm. building from that to educate people as well as add her research to it um she's doing a phenomenal job i'm very proud of her i'm happy to know her um so you can find her forced blur and uh, she's amazing though we have a lot of amazing women in this topic no. amazing women and it's interesting if you google um female cryptozoologist. I did this. I told you about what I'm working on and 10, the top 10 cryptozoologists in America popped up and they were all men. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it broke my heart because I'm like, I can name 10 uh, cryptozoologists or female Bigfoot researchers right off the bat that deserve to be on that list, have put in the time and, and effort and um, the, the research, all of the field time, but right. they're not there. Like Kathy Strain, for one, another anthropo anthropologist. I can't speak. Another one like you. She's not on there. That's right. No, no. Not on I there. think that's, 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 that's terrible. Um, and she's one of my favorites as well, too. And she's mm -hmm. done a lot of research in the Pacific Northwest whenever it comes to Native American uh, legends and more. Yes. Um, the thing about a female going out in the woods is she does not have that bravado of a man. You yes. know, it's not that kind of... Um, it's not about uh, antagonism. Mm -hmm. It's not about encroachment. It's more about letting everything settle. A woman's um, vibration or frequency is just right. different than a guy's. Well, and, we're, uh, yeah, we're, I, we're nurturers. We're yeah, soft. Nurturers, we're nurturers. Right. Even if we're carrying a gun, even if we are, you know, can defend ourselves, when we walk into the woods, we don't walk into the woods like we own the place and we're the biggest thing here. We're the top of the food chain. That's right. That's um, right. Men, unfortunately, that's just how they they are wired. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Men are protectors um, and women are too, obviously, but in a different way. Uh, right. Women walk in, we nurture, we are looking around. We're not marking our territory and such. And Right. And sometimes it just comes down to guys are idiots. You know, they go in there, they want to mark their territory. It becomes a peeing contest to see who's better. And and it just really kind of muddies the field a little bit. Where women are, we're just a little bit, uh, a little bit less threatening. A little bit. A little bit less threatening. Unless it's, you know, the same, you know, unless it's that time of the month, then we are worse <laughs> than any werewolf that you could I, ever find. Um, worse yeah, than a mama no. grizzly bear. <laughs> There is a, definitely a transformation that occurs. There is. Um, yeah. There's always that joke, uh, why don't women become werewolves? And because it would be unfair for us to become man-eating beasts twice a month. <laughs> love it. I and love on it. that note, <laughs> get the women some hats in the Bigfoot community so that we that's can be right. relevant. That's, right. um, that's not to take away from the amazing female researchers that are out there killing it my mom for instance she's a female a veteran female researcher um she was doing this back when there weren't hardly any female researchers on research teams and 
as you mentioned before, um, a lot of times the only women you would find in the field were married or dating a Bigfoot researcher or there to kind of hang on. They weren't really there putting in the time, you know, doing field work on their own. So hats off to the ladies. Thank you so much for coming on tonight, Ron. You've been a phenomenal guest. I had a fantastic time and we should do this again. And hopefully our paths cross someday because I would love to go out on an investigation with you sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Although I don't know after the stories you've told, I (laughs) I don't know if I could hack one of your investigations. I would be terrified. I'd be traumatized, but it might be worth it. I mean, I might get a sighting out of it. So it may be. Mental health, sighting, it's a, you know, give and take, but thank you so much for coming on and I will definitely have you back on soon. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you guys. Absolutely. Thank you. Good night. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I really appreciate your support um, and your support for my guest, your support for this channel. So drop a comment down below. Let me know what you thought. Hit the like, subscribe, thumbs up, ring the bell, all the things. And once again, I appreciate you all for being here tonight. Stay safe, be kind, and I'll see y'all next time. Thank you so much for listening. Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio is a Nightcaller's production, created and hosted by me, Lauren Smith. If you'd like to support the show further, you can share episodes with other believers and seekers of the truth. Leave a positive review or subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. We also have merch. Visit the links on our Instagram and Facebook pages to check it out. Stay safe, be kind, and I'll see y'all next time.